0: Hi, and welcome to the Journalism Salute. I'm Mark Simon. In each episode, we'll talk to or about an interesting person or organization related to journalism. The intent is to show that journalists are not the enemy of the people. Thank you for listening. On today's episode, we're joined by Kasha Patel. Kasha is the deputy weather editor for the Capital Weather Gang at the Washington Post, covering weather, climate, and the environment. Prior to that, she produced features and videos for NASA. Hi, Kasha. Thanks for joining us.
1: Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me.
0: So, we start with you, where we start with everybody. What's your journalism origin story?
1: <laughs> uh, that's a good question. I guess it goes a little bit back to what my writing origin story is. Um, I was in college and I was supposed to be a doctor, uh, I was pre med, but I didn't take the MCAT. Uh, to go to school right after. So I had this gap year and I was always really interested in writing. I was a journalism minor, chemistry major in college, and I interned and I wrote science stories for our uh, school newspaper. But because I had this gap year before I would presumably enter medical school, I told my parents, I said, just let me go to science journalism grad school. I have this year anyways. This is my last chance to do this before I go to medical school and my life is over. Like, I think those were kind of maybe very close to my exact words. And they said, okay. And I went to... J school, as people call it, at Boston University. And I had a great time. I learned a lot of different things. I got into a lot of multimedia things, as well as obviously print or web writing, I guess it is. And I think my parents saw that Well, what they really saw is that i got a job and they thought okay well maybe this is kind of a viable pathway for a career and i got my job at nasa and my mom was like yeah you know just stay in government just stay in government because that's supposed to be a stable job i was there for about eight years and then i just most recently moved to washington post on their weather team
0: so two things one uh where are you from
1: uh i'm from west virginia
0: Okay, And uh, was there anything in your upbringing that lent itself to telling stories?
1: Yeah, I always have liked writing growing up. Yeah, I always liked writing growing up. I, I we would have like class contest, essay writing contest, and I would win. Um, I don't know why I would win. I just, you know, I just liked writing. I tried making things different. I always wrote about science. I just gravitated towards that. Um, I wrote a lot of poetry. I also did speech and debate team in high school, which probably has also influenced my stand-up comedy career.
0: Well, uh, we'll get to the stand-up comedy towards <laughs> the end. Uh, that is a good teaser for for the different things we're going to talk about. So, the Washington Post is kind of the biggest of the big, next to you know, right alongside the New York Times. Um, <laughs> what was it that led you there?
1: So when I so when I was at NASA, I was writing a lot about Earth science. Uh, I wrote a lot of it from a data perspective. I knew a lot of satellite imagery. Uh, I worked with really great GIS professionals, cartographers, um, and I just really got to know Earth observation satellite data pretty well. And I noticed, That, (laughs) you know, I'm in D.C., Maryland area for NASA and obviously Washington Post is in Washington, D.C. So you read your local newspaper, even if it is a national newspaper. And we would always read the stories in the weather section because it directly related to what I was writing about. And it was funny. We kind of switched. Sometimes I would write things and they would pick it up and they would pick up my data the satellite data that I wrote about. And sometimes we saw what they would write about and then we picked it up and added satellite data to it. So it always felt very familiar to me that I was thinking, oh, you know, if there's one place, cause it is uh, difficult to transition from a public affairs type thing. I, I wasn't necessarily on public affairs when I was ending NASA, I was on their online magazine. So I did have autonomy, but, you know, I was still at a government institution, even though it is probably the best government institution you can work for in terms of writing, communication, uh, that side of things. Um, But, yeah, I always thought, you know, that would be a logical place for me to make a move to because it is more science-oriented and um, the the type of writing that I do at NASA, you know, headquarters didn't check over it It was a little more like I said autonomous and I saw that a position was open and I applied for it and I got it
0: so some of the recent stories that you've done just to give an accounting of the types of things that you do a serious piece on Hurricane Ian's impact on water pollution in Florida a look at a Canadian crater that resembles the moon surface surface and you fact-checked a volcano explosion in a Lord (laughs) of the Rings movie Uh, You recently started a series as well called Hidden Planet. It's a clever way to teach science and tell stories, with that approach being laugh and learn. The first episode was a video and article about how climate change impacts mating and dating habits. For example, the female fruit fly has adapted to select more than one male mate in order to get better access to sperm. And then you related that to humans as well. Can you walk (laughs) us through from initial idea to finished product and all the details that go into producing uh, some of the work that you do?
1: Sure. Yeah, that's a great summary. (laughs) Uh, So when I first got to the post, I wrote a lot of weather news. So, you know, if there was an extreme weather event, natural disaster, I would often be the one writing about it, or do like a day two story and get some scientific studies and help put it in context. So that's what that Hurricane Ian story was. Um, You know, I've only been there for about a year or so, but when there is a hurricane, you know, I can kind of know the stories that we're going to be doing, the types of stories that people are looking for. Because of my satellite data background, I also know what to look for, and satellite imagery, uh, and put a story that way. Um, And I really like doing those stories because I think they're really important, especially in the moment. The last ones that you talked about, those are a more recent development, just probably in the past month or so. And the climate change mating and dating one, that is part of a new column, like you said, Hidden Planet. But the ones before that, the one about a crater in Canada that is awfully close to craters on the moon and the fact-checking the volcano scene and the uh, powers of ring or ring of power whatever it is <laughs> uh, or the tv show the amazon prime tv show yeah um both of those were kind of uh, beta testing Hidden Planet. So those are a little more, um, you know, lighthearted. It's more about just like teaching people science. And if you read them, you know, there are some jokes in them as well.
0: So um, that's really cool that you have, uh, you were talking about autonomy at NASA. It seems like you're developing an auto- like, somewhat of an autonomous ability to, I guess, merge your skill sets with uh, the Washington Post needs, and I'm curious, how does something like that, like, are there discussions? How does how do things like that happen?
1: Right now, we just launched our climate expansion. <laughs> uh, so we, the we- I was on the weather team. Uh, I got hired on the weather team, and we were the weather team, and then we merged with the climate team, and now the climate team is also expanding to hire different. Uh, sectors or different orbs of impact in terms of climate science and in that expansion one of the things that I said I thought would be really cool is you know climate change and climate science is very heavy and very serious and that's what I wrote about and it kind of gets to be a lot of I would try and do TikToks on those and Those were very fun to do because you got to exercise a different uh, creative part of your brain. But again, it went back to the climate TikToks, even though there was like a poll that the TikTok team did asking their followers. What is one of the top issues you want to you see more about? And the environment and climate change was one of them. So when I started, they are like, okay, great. We have uh, somebody who knows this stuff, likes being on camera, and can do this. So we would do these climate change TikToks, but they always got the least amount of views and likes. So if it came kind of hard, to, we needed to figure out a new way to do it because... People would just got kind of bummed out, even if it wasn't done in a bum-me-out way. <laughs> or we did it to dancing to a song. You know, it, we weren't being, you know, tone deaf by any means. You have to pick what you're doing selectively. And a lot of it was explaining the science of something, not talking about like a hurricane impact. But even that, people weren't that into. So when we were talking about products we would like to see with the climate launch, I thought, Well, climate science can be pretty depressing, and I'm not trying to make those topics fun or funny, but I think it could use some counter-programming to balance that, to talk about other things about Earth, because, I mean, at heart, I love science. I have my science degree, my science journalism degree, and I love learning how things work, and I just wanted to share that excitement with people and get people excited about geology and volcanoes. And if that leads them to, you know, a climate change article, that's that's great. If it helps them engage more with these topics, that's great. And it also goes with my personal mission with my stand-up comedy where I specialize in science jokes, which you know this, um, but... It's also my personal mission that I think you can reach wider audiences with different backgrounds, with humor or something a little more engaging.
0: How do you come up with an idea like, hey, let's let's do the, the Lord of the Rings uh, thing? <laughs> <laughs> or, so, the, or the mating and... Di-
1: <laughs> yeah, so mating and... Di- yeah, so both of those were interesting because... Those took a lot more effort than just writing about a study or uh, like a hurricane impact because we know what's happening there, right? It's straight news. These were literally, Kasha comes up with an idea. uh, It's a feature, essentially, and she has to go out and find out what research is about it and put together the story. It was very different from what I've done in the past, which, like I said, straight news. And it was fun. We thought about the climate change mating and dating one because we were this was again like a beta test so we are trying to think of a topic that young people cuz Washington Post research says that uh, our demographic is pretty old and they want to reach out to younger people to be readers and subscribers but young people say that it feels like their professor is talking to them then they don't like uh, reading about climate change because it's daunting and depressing. So we were thinking, okay, what are ways that we can show that that is not the case here? So um, we thought about doing a video where I would be on the street talking to people about their dating and mating habits, more, more dating, not mating, <laughs> uh, dating, and how weather has affected that, how they're choices in a partner have changed recently. Um, And then we also looked into research that actually surrounds that. And there is some research in animals. And just to give your listeners a quick one sentence to maybe two sentence summary of it, I found it really intriguing that the way that some sexual animals are attracting their mates, like a dragonfly, likes to have dark pigments in its wing, and that helps attract a female. Uh, some of those flashy traits are becoming too energy expensive. So in climate change, are absorbing too much heat and it's inhibiting their their job, which is you know to reproduce. So they're actually changing up these long standing Uh, genetic evolution, like sexual traits that they use to attract mates. So I just thought it was a really cool combination of where evolutionary biology meets climate change.
0: I love that it's such differentiating content, um, too. Like, it's not something that, that someone would um, typically think of. There was one other story I was going to ask you to just kind of walk us through. Maybe you can walk us through like, idea to completion. I know this is one that you liked how the condors have emerged from near extinction.
1: Oh, yeah. That was a really cool story because that was very visually intense. Um, that story came that I came on a little later in that project where the video person found the story idea it was in California and they had the photographer there and they you know condors are beautiful creatures I've never seen one up close or before in my life until I did this story and I remember (laughs) they said Hey, we need a writer for this story and I was free that week. So I was like, "Hey, like I don't have a deadline this week. Like it's not pressing. I can help out with this. When do you need this to be done?" I'm thinking it's going to be in like days. And they're like, "Oh, no, no, you got time. 4 months later it comes out." <laughs> and it was 4 months because um <laughs> I had to go there and uh, report the story and watch them releasing condors. So basically what happened is there's the Yurok uh, tribe in Northern California, and they are part of this program with the National Park Service to and some local zoos, Oregon Zoo, and um, I think San Diego Zoo, to rehab, uh, I don't want to say rehabilitate, but they're raising these baby condors, which are extinct or endangered they're pretty much uh, absent from the Pacific Northwest and they want to reintroduce them there and they are have these baby condors they raise them and then they release them into the wild and it kind of reminded me when i was reporting the story of a rocket launch because there's there's so many things that have to come together for you to be able to do this. And the weather has to be good. The condors have to be in a good mood. The trackers have to be working. The other birds have to be around to show them how to fly and things like that that it kept getting delayed because those were a lot of things to keep up. So it really felt like me covering a rocket launch where I go there and it's like, oh, nope, too windy today, scrubbed. Let's try again next week. So yeah, that's why it took a long time.
0: These stories are are all fascinating and they're very, like, they're largely different from uh, the types of things that we've talked about with other reporters, which is great. Uh, I'm curious, what is a day in the life of your job like It
1: depends. So when I was writing more weather news and when I was editing more weather news, we would have about two stories every day. Um, We would decide on them. Usually one of them we would decide the previous night. We would get it uh, written by our resident meteorologist and I I would edit it or my editor, my other editor, chief editor would edit it. And we put it out, you know, by like 10 or 11 a.m. And then the other one gets assigned to another person. Or sometimes I would write it too. Um, There were times when I'd wake up 9 o'clock or uh, log on to work 9 o'clock. And they say, okay, this release just came out. Can you give this to me in an hour and a half? And I say, okay. And I would write it and it would go out. (laughs) So... Those, I felt like, really trained my journalism chops. And that was just more of looking for news. We would try and produce two to three stories each day. Now that I've moved into this column, well, I should also say, so sometimes it would be daily stories. Sometimes I would also have, like, a weekly story. So if it was a little more intense, like a visual story where it's mapping rainfall over the summer or mapping lightning trends over the entire year, I would obviously have more than one day to do that. For the hidden planet column, the way we're working it now is I come up with a long list of story ideas and I go through them one by one to see which one is viable. (laughs) And it's fun. It's fun because it's, not necessarily tied to news and i'm very thankful for my editors who are on board with you know (laughs) things i want to do like how does climate change affect mating and dating uh the one that i wrote today was actually a really cool study that came out this morning that showed scientists discovered a two million year old dna Uh, which is now the world's uh, oldest identified piece of DNA, and they uh, mapped the genetic uh, composition of it, and they found all these different animals in northern Greenland where they found the DNA, including uh, Mastodon, which is this hairy relative of an elephant, and they did not think... A mastodon would ever be found up that far north in Greenland. So that was another really cool story, where it's just, just, just telling you science about the planet.
0: What are the kinds of stories that you want to do more of?
1: Oh, um, I really like the data viz stories. Um, I yeah, I mean, I really like data stories because I have the background in that from NASA and our data viz team is very good and it can lead to a lot of original reporting. And I like a lot. uh, uh, Yeah. And I like the mating story because there was the video with it. I like trying to engage people via video. Um, And I think the opportunity to write uh, more fun and funnier stories. Like last year, I wrote one about Groundhog Day. Um, And, you know, it's Groundhog Day, it's silly, whatever. But people really enjoy just that piece of levity in that holiday.
0: Regarding climate change and climate and weather as a subject, a fair number of people are now writing about it. A fair number of people are now talking about it, certainly. Um, What are reporters getting right and getting wrong at this moment in time?
1: Oh, boy. I mean, it really is evolving. And some of it can be pretty nuanced. Like, I do write about hurricanes a lot, and there is a good amount of data there. So climate scientists do have pretty good data on what trends in hurricane behavior are tied to climate change and what aren't. But sometimes it get, it's easy to get those mixed up. So, for instance, the frequency of hurricanes is not necessarily changing. The number of hurricanes in a season, that's not really dependent on climate change yet. It, right now, we've been having some pretty intense hurricane frequency because of a La Nina cycle. So, I mean, I guess that's also another thing. There's a lot of confounding weather phenomenons in El Nina, La Nina Um, are a pretty important one that can influence, uh, you know, floods in Australia. And yes, that can also be exacerbated by climate change because a warmer atmosphere can hold more water. That will obviously lead to bigger downpours. But I don't know if it's what reporters get wrong, but I think it's important to note that climate change doesn't cause extreme weather necessarily, But it can exacerbate certain weather patterns that are already in place. And it can make extreme weather events more common to happen, like a, you know, India heat wave or something like that.
0: Okay. So it is, as you said, it is uh, certainly very nuanced. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, all right. So segueing here, how has being a journalist impacted how you view the world?
1: Um... I don't want to say I've gotten more, I don't think bitter is the right word, <laughs> but I think I do have a more nuanced perspective on things. Um, I'm also realizing that, you know, you need to reach different audiences. You can't just be preaching to the choir so much, because I think especially with something like climate change, it's not going to be because one party was louder than the other. It's going to have to be uh when we're talking about politics. It's going to have to be people coming together. And I feel like people judge you a little bit too much on who's saying that information. And that's why I really like comedy, because comedy can unite people from different backgrounds, upbringings. And I think we all want the same thing, but oftentimes it's not phrased like that because people can get very heated about such topics. So yeah, I mean, I, I guess I just, I, I become, I guess, you know, journalists are supposed to be impartial and I really feel like I've become much more impartial because I just want to bring good to everybody
0: on certainly what is a very divisive topic. Now you brought up <laughs> comedy three times, so let's get to it. This is Follow not the first me on
1: to- Instagram.
0: <laughs> this is not the first time I've interviewed you. I also talked to you about your other passion. You're a stand-up comedian, often specializing in stand-up comedy uh, about- and about science, who has opens for some pretty notable names. Um, what goes into your comedy writing?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I didn't intentionally bring up comedy Uh, previously in this conversation, but I think it does speak to that my philosophy on comedy is very much how I approach all aspects of my life. So, I mean, I do science-themed comedy shows, but I also joke about, you know, being Indian, being from West Virginia. And I think the most valuable thing a person can give me is their time. So if I'm on stage and they're listening to me, Obviously, I want to make them laugh. That's number one. Otherwise, I wouldn't be a comedian. But number two, I just want them to walk away with a different perspective on a topic. Maybe that is what it's like to be um, an Indian female in West Virginia. Or maybe it is um, about, uh, you know, funny facts about animals or whatever it might be for my science-themed comedy. Um, There are a lot of similarities between how I write a joke and how I approach an article, and I would say those similarities are only increasing as I get the opportunity to write funnier lines in my article. Um, Basically, I write the serious part because that's the most important part of a joke. If you don't understand or communicate the premise very well, there's no way they're going to be able to understand it So I just try and make my premise as concise and clear as it possibly can. I like to think of it of how I write a headline for an article. It's just the bare necessities so they can pay attention, absorb that information. And then I think of punchlines for it by there are a couple of different tactics. You know, what would be a surprising way for this joke to end? What is clever wordplay? um, what's a funny comparison I can use to, um, explain the concept I'm talking about a little further. And those are also things I try and do in my journalism articles too.
0: Sure. And the one way in which I think those blend a little bit, you mentioned TikTok. I've been wanting to talk to someone about TikTok, not necessarily (laughs) you, but more in depth, um, because it, 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 it's a challenging one for me as a somewhat older person. And I know that for the younger people, uh, it's uh, an, an integral part of their day. And you've contributed to the Washington Post TikTok. The Washington Post has a guy uh, who's known as the Washington Post TikTok guy uh, who does. And you, among things that you did uh, were 12 Days of Christmas with a climate, uh, climate version. Um, what do you think about journalism and TikTok and the melding thereof? So uh,
1: that's an interesting question because, especially if you're talking about a news outlet that you have to pay to read their stuff, how are you supposed to get somebody to read your article and pay for it if they're not going to your website? The way to do that is to try and meet them where they're at, which is on social media. And a lot of news gets broken on Twitter, you know, Facebook for natural disasters. Like um, a lot of agencies, they file updates faster on Facebook than they do on their website. So it's easier for me to find it that way. TikTok as well. A lot of people are going there for news. It's very digestible. It's quick. And the algorithm helps find what you're interested in. So, I mean, I i don't think I really understand TikTok either, <laughs> but uh, I enjoy the comedy writing aspect of it. It's great, right? Because I enjoy the comedy writing aspect of it, and then I would do weather-themed or earth-themed, climate-themed TikToks for the post. I would help them out with those. So it was like the two things that I like to do. Um, So... I think it's a fun creative exercise, and as more and more younger people are going to the platform, it is where I think a lot of people are going to have to consider moving to if they want to meet their audience.
0: Even us older folk. Uh, the show is, so the show is called The Journalism Salute. We salute you for your good work, and we ask that you do likewise. Is there a journalist or journalism organization, ideally one that you're not necessarily affiliated with, that does good work and that you would like to salute for their good work?
1: I mean, I'm thinking of so many people in my life that have been helpful in growing me as a writer and journalists you know they do tough love it's not easy to get your writing criticized and you know you have to have thick skin but you know it makes you a better person I know you said not to pick one that we're affiliated with which I guess I'm not really affiliated with it anymore but <laughs> I used to be um president of the DC Science Writers Association. And I think local science writing chapters are very, very important. We have the National Association for Science Writing, and that's great. But on the local level, really makes a difference, like local journalism. Uh, But that was a great networking opportunity, as well as let me be a leader. And it's also where I started my science comedy shows. <laughs> uh, so I would say, and especially nowadays, if you have a general assignment reporter trying to report about science, it's, I mean, they'll do a good job, but there's a difference when you have someone who's specialized in science reporting and is following uh, a beat for a long time, because they're going to be able to write the larger feature stories, the more in depth stories um so yeah just a shout out to all the science writing organizations out there writing about these hard topics that are very intellectually uh rigorous so salute to all of my colleagues
0: (laughs) nice that works uh kasha patel we know we can find your journalism work at the washington post where can we find your comedy
1: um, my comedy, you can go to my Instagram. I post a good crowd work bits on there, some of which I do with scientists in the crowd who don't know I'm going to pick on them because they're at regular open mics. So my Instagram is at Casablanca, um, K-A-S-H-A-B-L-A-N-C-A. And my YouTube as well. I have funny videos, the uh, informative videos, and I have more planned for this upcoming year. So that's also Kasha Blanca. And then everything else, kashapatel.com. And just Google me. You'll find it.
0: <laughs> One of the few journalists in the world, I would imagine, that has performed for penguins. Uh, <laughs> Kasha Patel, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to the Journalism Salute. Please let us know what you think of the show. You can find us on Twitter at JournalismPod, and you can email us at JournalismSalute at gmail.com.